the tennis fundamentals, the serve, the volley, and the smash. This month we are doing tennis. What better way to take advantage of the great weather than with a game of tennis? I have no chance in the match. He's the number one in the world, and I'm playing with the metal hit. Who do we got? It's, uh, it's Steve, a.k.a. by my innuendo, Paul Nicknish, for the Spotify app. How are we doing? Steve, what accounts are you paying for across streaming services, cell phone, anything like that? Um, so I should have clarified. The old man pays for the Spotify mainly because I have about 10 years of shared music that if I created my own account would be lost. Um, I have, okay, so Netflix still in the family. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, okay. I got Peacock. I got um, Amazon Prime. And then I think the rest are friends' passwords. How about yourself? You're paying for Peacock and Amazon Prime or you have them for the three? I'm, I'm paying for Peacock and Prime. Got and, it. And, um, the other ones are, I think my sister's got the Hulu. Um, my sister's roommate has HBO Max. I borrow that. Um, so, yeah, don't don't report that to the executives. I know the I think the quarterlies just came out, so they may be cracking down. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. Um, earnings reports are looking rough. Uh, my fiance and I play, pay for Hulu and we, and we get live with it. So that's why that's kind of we're like point through that. Um, I dedicate the Peacock to the household for Notre Dame football and SNL. Nice my guy. Have. Um, we just got kicked off Netflix geographically. They, they recognized the IP and said, who the fuck are you basically? Wow. Yeah, I was listening. Uh, this is, I think, the podcast No Free Plugs, but they kind of talk about um, like the pop culture media and stuff. And they were saying how Netflix has a new ad support. There's essentially three different Netflix tiers, which you know I have no idea about because I just sign into whatever my parents are paying for. But sounds like there's all these new strategies across the board, and uh, people are implementing ads a lot more, which is I don't think anyone's friend, but. <laughs> Joe, what do you pay for out of your own lawyer paycheck? <laughs> so uh, I, I'm the same way with Netflix. I just got kicked off the family Netflix. Yeah. With the, yeah. So I now pay for my own Netflix. I pay for my own HBO Go uh, or HBO Max or whatever it's called <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm, I'm living five years ago with HBO Go. I pay for my own HBO Max. They still have you on it somehow. They're getting like a little revenue stream. Like, <laughs> I pay for my own Amazon Prime. I just got Peacock, but I paid for like the lowest one with ads. So it's yep. like it's like four bucks a month or something. Peacock's really cheap. Yeah, Peacock's good. Uh, I think I'm going to get Hulu because I want to watch The Bear. And then uh, I'm Worth thinking it. of, yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> and I think I'm going to get Apple to watch uh, Ted Lasso. That a boy. I was gonna say, Holman, you need to uh, you need to maybe make some new friends because <laughs> you're you're paying for way too much these days. That's true. I definitely get my money's worth with Prime though, because I I use it to like buy a lot of stuff on Amazon, and watch a bunch of stuff, so that's nice. But I I uh, I also pay for YouTube TV, tennis channel back on YouTube TV. TV. Huge, huge. Unless uh, oh, interesting. Should so we, should we cancel our subscription? <laughs> I think so. So I, I don't know. Is it on every uh, YouTube TV or do I have like a sports package? Because I literally was just texting a friend of mine, <laughs> Ross, who he was looking for. I was like, tennis channels back on YouTube TV. And he's like, I don't see it. 
So maybe awesome. I have like a special package. Yeah, they probably recognize your login or whatever. Okay, so let's look into it. Let's read the fine print. Um, definitely, we love Tennis Channel. Nice to have it within like, and maybe it's cheaper if you get it within your own package. But uh, yeah, that that's a good part. We support the partnership. <laughs> yeah, Hallman, I think it shows up as like T2 when you're scrolling through it. Because I remember, I think it came back around Wimbledon because I was also surprised. And Ross has also complained to me about this when I'll <laughs> name drop, like you watch Corda choke again. And he'll be like, I can't watch some matches. So, <laughs> so there's there's a T2 and then also the tennis channel, like their their main channel also is on YouTube TV. So that's that's big because I remember during the French Open I would lose my mind just having to switch between <laughs> Peacock and then NBC and then the Tennis Channel. I'm like, guys, come on! But, <laughs> but I also have like a bunch of like I had literally have just scrolled through like ten horse racing channels, so I may have like some <laughs> some like bonus sports package. I don't know. Dude, they have like pickleball channels now. I have <laughs> recently got very into pickleball. Got at my first tournament this weekend, but uh, we're still we're still tennis first, but. Uh, you know, trying to find a point of entry there. But yeah, they've got that on all the time. It's they just keep adding channels. <laughs> Love it, man. Hey, Nick Nish, you're welcome to we already did the Wimbledon recap episode, but as the official, and I want all our listeners to know this, and I, I thank all the listeners who are coming back just for Steve Nick Nish. You are the belt holder of the most listened to episode <laughs> of our whole podcast. I don't know how many family members you got, but uh <laughs> Your episode is the highest in the rankings. And so, first of all, thank you. We appreciate it a lot. And and second of all, if you we already talked about it, but if you want to talk about Wimbledon, you're welcome to because it was that exciting that you can share your emotions with us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I will say shout out to my dad for having eight siblings and I do have 20 cous- first cousins. So um, <laughs> it, it, when Who I hear this you, again, apparently. I try my best, you know, I'm uh, seeing them a lot recently. And so, you know, there, we got a lot of tennis players in the family. We got some fans, so they like hearing it, you know, reminisce about the old uh, glory days a decade ago, but uh, yeah, so that, that's great to hear. And yeah, Wimbledon, this is after my uh, initial appearance, probably the most I've watched tennis in a few years and uh, Wimbledon was great. Um, we'll get into this aspect later, but I did, uh, did get a nice little um, free uh, betting website in Iowa. Had a free promo, so I had a little couple some funds to play around with. So play some wagers there. So those are fresh in my memory. But in terms of the actual tennis, um, yeah, the American aspect was disappointing. Uh, got my hopes up for um, my boy Seb Corda and Fritz to uh, to really uh, make me sad, but I thought uh, from the semifinals on, it was uh, extremely entertaining. And specifically, obviously, the final, just kind of the changing of the new guard and just having, you know, it, I mean, it was an upset. Uh, having an upset occur and kind of maybe crowning the next face of tennis is pretty cool. And I think will make the U.S. Open even more exciting because I think Alcaraz appeals to he is he is the, the chance to have the same type of appeal as Federer, in my opinion, which is huge. I mean, Djokovic, he gets the headlines between, um, you know, the anti-vax stuff and the, the hate slash dislike. But I think Alcaraz could be kind of that universally loved person. And, you know, now I'm just hoping to see a couple of those younger guys uh, like Rune and maybe Sinner uh, start to ramp it up even more as the majors continue to go on. In the morning of that match, did – 
what what would you have put the percent chances at for Alcaraz? So I liked Alcaraz. I actually, well, we'll get into this. I took him um, in, with like games, uh, with, but I would have said 25% was my thoughts um, because Djokovic had cruised, but I did think the fact that he had essentially faced no opposition. I mean, he dropped one or two first sets the whole tournament, but Alcaraz had faced some tougher competition been through a few grinders and I think he uh I just trusted kind of in the process with him where I thought he'd be able to make those adjustments and um yeah so 25 I'd say 25 percent and even as the match was going on I would say I didn't really you know third set I was I was getting like closer to 40 and then it, it decreased in the fourth and then he pulled it out so that's where I was at Hallman what do you think about this take from Nick Mish that like okay you actually dropped more sets. It makes you more prepared for the adversity. <laughs> the harder road, man. Whoever had the harder road, more prepared kind of thing. Robert That's... Frost. Is that how you would feel, Nick Nish, playing play a tournament? Because I, I always think when I see it's – and it's always like the one seed. It's never the four seed. It's always the one seed who's like they haven't even dropped a set. I'm like they're just going to win it again. You. So you're saying you've noticed someone who – uh, you know, has been in that fifth set and, and made adjustments. I love that. That's that's getting into the nitty gritty here of like someone who can really win. Yeah, and I would add a caveat. You know, it does depend on the type of player you're playing. Like if Djokovic was playing, you know, maybe a Berrettini uh, like he did in Wimbledon in 2020, uh, it wouldn't apply as much. But a guy like Alcaraz, who has kind of a more unique playing style and is more of a grinder, I mean, you could compare it to the French Open where Alcaraz, he also hadn't faced as much adversity and he started cramping up and it lost him the match and just wasn't prepared for that and prepared for those five setters that are going to go five hours. And I think, yeah, I think Djokovic, I mean, his draw was an absolute cakewalk. And I think Alcaraz, that little confidence and, you know, the Queen's Open title definitely helped him too. Iron sharpens iron, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So that's interesting that you you were saying Alcaraz could be like kind of like Federer in terms of like fan excitement and the draw, because uh, I think during that match, I, either McEnroe or Chris Fowler was saying like Federer fans are kind of looking for a guy to get behind since Federer retired, and they're kind of thinking Alcaraz are kind of gravitating towards Alcaraz. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, and <laughs> it might help him. You know, I'm now I'm thinking real long term, but. Yannick Sinner, you know, he's fine. He's kind of bland. And, you know, people already don't really <laughs> like Holger Rune. So, yeah. you know, who knows? Holger Rune could be the Djokovic. And uh, hopefully we can find a, another Nadal. You know, watch out for Phils. He, he's a good clay court player. Uh, I don't think he'll be that good, obviously. But just trying to make some semi-comparisons here. <laughs> so you called it a changing of the guard, maybe? Are, are we thinking, like, Alcaraz Djokovic head to head matchups going forward. Do you think Alcaraz is going to win most of those? That is so tough. I, I, I think I will say the next two years, it'll pretty much be Djokovic versus Alcaraz. I think it's going to be a lot of head to head between them. I would say I'm kind of taking a non, non take here, but I could genuinely see it being a 50, 50 type affair. Mm. Um, I, 
Djokovic just has that game that I think really suits well with age. Uh, he's just so smart, so disciplined, and such a good with his footwork. Things that you can keep a couple of years longer. That yeah, I I would say I would say slight edge to Alcaraz. If you gave me the next eight majors, give me Alcaraz five, Djokovic three. Whoa. <laughs> wow. What do you guys think? Similar? Oh, uh, man. I I think Djokovic is going to win a few here. And like you said, the next, like, two years, I, I would say 5-3, maybe 6-2 Djokovic. Unless uh, – we, we don't think Whoa. any other <laughs> – we, we don't think any other uh, male players win in a slam in the next two years. Other than well, let me, let me post that one to, uh, to Nick Nish because that's a good question too. So – but in the morning, uh, when I was watching, and uh, the, I was watching with Ravi, our other amazing guest, and I was saying, "So we're watching, and probably Djokovic is going to win." Which that's why we're all so excited about this. But I said, "Alcaraz will win slams, and anybody else behind him, I'm not sure. Like you all think they could have the potential, but you're not sure who." And I said, "If you had to put a bunch of money on someone who will." win a slam on the men's side who who would you choose um who hasn't yet so so can you take medvedev out of the equation after Alcaraz? is there where would you put your money i i know for the americans you said corda if you could choose anyone uh nick nick who would you choose yeah it's uh i to preface this one i will say this wimbledon made this a trickier proposition because those two guys weren't really tested much but if i had to put my money i would say yannick sinner just because even though i thought he played really badly in that um wimbledon quarter he still you know was pretty close in that third should have won that third set um so i'm gonna go sinner and if i can add he's my guy Berrettini gets back to being healthy. You never know if Wimbledon, he could just get hot and just no one can return that serve. That would be my wild card. But Sinner is my answer. It's a really good answer. Uh, Holman, do you have a – would you place a different bet if we're all at the table? You can place the same bet if you want, but you'll look a little bit like a pussy because <laughs> he just put his chips on Sinner. So <laughs> I would – I'm going to I would, I'm gonna give you two names. I was going to say Sinner one, and I'm going to go Runa. I, I like the Runa Alcaraz really? rivalry. I like uh, they played doubles together as teenagers. Like they know each other very well. Like I just think Runa is going to see Alcaraz winning slams. He's going to think to himself, like, I played with that guy for years. Like we trained together. Like I can play with him. Like if he's winning slams, I can win slams. So I, I'd go Sinner and Runa. You're in the village in, or, or the villain, the villain orange. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw <laughs> I, I saw like a little video clip on uh, scrolling through Instagram today. The uh, the hero villain story often very similar. They often start out uh, with some adversity in life, oh. and and uh, it's how you choose to uh, to to move past that adversity. Do you hate the world? Do you want to blame other people? That's the villain, or do you want to try to uh, save other people from uh, that same kind of adversity and save the world as the hero? I mean, it's Hemingway when you have Hallman over. There. <laughs> so it's it's how it's how you respond to adversity that separates the heroes from the villains is the point, I guess. I mean, I li I live by that every day. I think as <laughs> I try to. Listen, I will since you guys both said two names, I will willingly put 
t- twice as many chips on one name. <laughs> if we were making this bet, and it's it's a tough one because it, it really is up in the air, I would take Kyrgios on the major. Ooh. Mm-hmm. It would be He's, amazing. <laughs> they certainly got the talent for sure. If he can just put it all together uh, for two weeks, we'll see. I guess he did go to that Wimbledon final just like last year. So he's right there. He might not. He yeah. might not play for two years and be and be like <laughs> an Instagram influencer, and then he and then suddenly he could win the next one after that. It's true, and tennis just really needs him back. I mean, I was I was so disappointed when he wasn't able to play Wimbledon and. Um, yeah, he definitely has that game where he could, I mean, if, you know, in break point, had they talk about how his record versus Djokovic prior to Wimbledon last year, uh, he, he can take him down, you know, granted it's not a grand slam stage, but the proof's in the pudding. You never know. He gets hot. That might be what you need. You need the upside, not the consistency of a guy like, I mean, he would never be in discussion, but a Casper Rude or a Taylor Fritz, you know, they can just win the smaller (laughs) tournaments, but they're never beating someone better than them at majors in my opinion no and and actually why this is a circular sort of exciting discussion why all our answers are good is nick nish i know the answer to this question if it happened to be let's say it's the u.s open and it was uh curios and uh sinner who'd you take in that bet this u.s open i would yep. take here i would take curios probably yes yeah see <laughs> It's true, and I yeah I made sure not to have the caveat beforehand, but the curios, <laughs> but you he, he's like one of my favorite guys to bet on because you can, you really can see how he's doing. It's not, you know, he he's that emotional, he's that provocative with his actions that if he's rolling, you can tell if he's not rolling. Well, there may be a chair umpire that needs you know an ambulance called for him. So <laughs> <laughs> you got it, you got it right in front of you. But yeah, it's true, and I'd be, I'd be cheering for him. I'll always cheer for him. I don't care if people don't like him. He's fun when he's on my TV screen. So, <laughs> all right, fellas, I think, and I hate this. I hate this. This is not the way I live. But I think for a lot of the podcast, I'm not going to talk that much. It's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't bet that much, but uh, a lot of our listeners do, and a lot of people do like to bet on sports. It's very fun, but I just have different vices. So I want to take a moment to do uh, just tennis news. Um, but let me tell you, Holman, like we took it a moment at the beginning of the year um, to go over the 1,000s tournaments to remind our listeners, this is when you win. If you win the tournament, you win half as many points as if you had won a grand slam. Um, so presumably if you went to the fourth round or the third round or the semifinals, you're kind of like, it's half as important as if you had done that in a grand slam. And we went through all those and we've stayed pretty close to those as a podcast. But in this phase in between Wimbledon, and the U S open, I don't think there's any of those. Is it Cincinnati? There's one, there's one coming up. I'm going next weekend. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, I'll do the live episode from Cincinnati but since we <laughs> talked last from Wimbledon to now everyone is like Lucy Goose I'm keeping track of like chickens in the yard I, I don't know what everyone's <laughs> playing uh, I'm trying to keep track of our big names and our favorite players and um, you guys can jump in but here's what I have for news which is which is all over the map I don't know what, what anyone's doing so what they play after 
Wimbledon is the Hall of Fame Open in Newport, Connecticut. This was the original U.S. Open. And it's a beautiful little, like, uh, New England town up there. Uh, the Kennedys used to be regulars up at the what used to be the U.S. Open, the Newport Open. The, now it's just uh, – that's where the Tennis Hall of Fame is. That's what it's right. called now. Um, so it's, it's a – now it's relatively minor. It's a grass court tournament, which, again, in our – I don't know. Joe, does, does the story have to be that um, – at the end of Wimbledon, like grass court season's over. Like, why are we doing more grass after that? That's a, that's interesting. I would have guessed uh, for that reason, Newport was before Wimbledon because I, I would have guessed Wimbledon would have been the culmination of the grass court season. So that's interesting. So the first U.S. Open was played on grass. Unless the grass came later. No, I think that's right. That's right. That's okay. right. <laughs> but it does beg the question, like, uh, like, you know, not that it, not that the slams have to be the culmination of the season of like it doesn't right. work out exactly organizedly that way, but like the players do want to prepare and see how they fare on certain surfaces. So to see everybody play on Wimbledon and you know have their hopes and dreams either dashed or lived up to, and then go out to it, it feels like a little bit of like a anticlimactic moment. But I'm shouting out um, an American basically college player, uh, someone we've never talked about on the podcast, Alex Christensen. Uh, he went to the final, um, I think beat like a big uh, John Isner. And like, he, he like made a run all the way to the final and then uh, ran into a Frenchman, Manorino. So a couple oh. of monsters, you heard the names here first and you <laughs> probably hear them again. Wow. I, I didn't catch any of Newport. I'm actually uh, I'm watching. So the DC Open's going on right now. The City Open in Washington DC. Tell so us when, about DC. So when we were talking uh, our favorite like non-slam tournaments, obviously you got Indian Wells, Miami, Cincinnati's probably my favorite non-slam. DC is right up there. I believe DC is a 500 event, not a 1,000. But it's like a all all the stars are there. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, JJ Wolf's still alive in this tournament right now. Monfils, Eubanks. Taylor Fritz, Tiafo, hometown kid there, Washington, D.C. area. Kevin Durant was there, uh, another uh, D.C. area guy. DMV guy was there giving Tiafo some love the other day. Um, Coco, Pagula still alive. Uh, Coco Goff and Pagula are still alive. Svitolina, Madison Keys, uh, and Jennifer Brady back in action after nearly two years off the tour with injuries. She's back. She won her uh, first match in DC, so good to see her back. She's like she's been to an Aussie Open final, like a top ten talent, right up there with Coco and Pagula and Madison Keys for American women's tennis. So good to see her back after such a long hiatus. And everybody was talking about Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> do you get the Do you get the reference, Joe? The, <laughs> the Brady Brady Bunch. bunch? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> on the women's side, I also saw Belinda Bencic uh, sneaking around. This name comes up every tournament. This is like perennial quarterfinalist. I feel like uh, she's going to be the person who surprises, you know, Ega or, or somebody in a, in a semifinal. Belinda Bencic. Okay. Nobody's, nobody's listening. Actually, <laughs> thank God for Nick Nish being on the pod, but everybody's listening this time. 
that we that you heard it here first. Oh, hey, <laughs> I'm just doing my part. Um, the only other thing I want to call out from DC is uh, I got a hot tip. We, we've gotten at least enough traction with a couple of fans that that when tennis things are going on, my friends will they'll text me about stuff, <laughs> and they'll they'll be like, "This is the tennis shit I saw," and it's it's always very exciting. So uh, Tiafo showed up to do a little press uh, in the Washington Mystics WNBA jersey today. Oh, right on. Hype up, yeah, hype up the women's sports, which is sick. He's obviously a D.C. like live and die hard uh, guy. Um, he's friends with formerly Bradley Beal, who I think got shipped off to uh, yeah. Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, so he's now <laughs> friends with Chris Paul. <laughs> Chris Paul's at Golden State now. Wait, who? This is so, a three-way. So who ended up over in a? So I believe there, there were the Beal Paul trade. Paul went from Phoenix to DC, and then like a week later was traded from DC to Golden State for Jordan Poole. So who? Oh, so 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 does Tiafa is now buddies with Poole? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently Kevin Durant, who's a local, but he went yeah. to Texas for school. Right, yeah, but he's a he's a DMV guy. He was at the Washington Commanders uh, uh, fall camp the other day, I believe. Oh. <laughs> Commanders still <laughs> sound weird. <laughs> sure does. I like the Washington football team. I thought that was a cool name. It was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I have Taylor Fritz as the winner of the Atlanta uh, Open on uh, hard court. Good for Taylor. After Something. a couple couple bad showings, uh, good for good for him. Hundred percent. Like it shows a little bit of still hunger. Uh, and then the rest I have is um, I have the Mifel Open in Mexico. Anybody know anything about this? So I'm watching this right now. It's in Los Cabos. <laughs> <laughs> it's, on, it's on Tennis Channel. Uh, Demon R Tommy Paul right now. Great match. Great matchup. All knotted yeah, up they're, at the, they're kind of like clones. Yeah, it's a really good match. Four games apiece here in the first set. We'll do a better job next season uh, of the podcast to like keep track of. Again, I thought it was like so re- revolutionary of us to keep track of the thousands. Um, some of, and for a lot of the time in between, the very very early Australian and then like. Uh, the French, the 1000s are like taken up every week and it's easy to cover them. Some of these awkward weeks in between, like in the summer and then later in the year, I am losing track of where everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> Cincinnati can't come soon enough. I love that tournament. I'm hitting it Sunday night. Uh, and okay, this is, this will be the true test of if, my fiance ever listens to the podcast <laughs> we're going to be round of 16 at the u.s open here in new york whoa it's a surprise it's a it's her it's her birthday surprise <laughs> two weekends after her birthday oh that's gonna be great <laughs> that's huge she listen i'm a i'm a happy brooklyn podcaster because <laughs> During that match, I was watching with Ravi, and I was watching uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic, and she texted me. 
I'm like, I thought I was getting away with like a boy's day and she was like doing her own thing in the middle of like, like it's going from third to fourth set. She texted me, this is insane. <laughs> and she said, how soon can we get us open tickets? I was like, <sighs> wow. I'm living the dream life over here, fellas. Yeah. I love that. You just got to pray for a curious joke. of the Toronto 16. <laughs> Hopefully she's not praying for that. <laughs> That would be a heck of a match. So who did did Kyrgios beat like Medvedev or somebody in the quarters there last year? Yeah, yeah, that was a heck Smoked of a match. Him. Yeah, it was. I can't think of it. I'm trying to go over break point. <laughs> I got to ask you, uh, did you how much of the Atlanta Open did you catch while you to finish off that tournament conversation? I don't think any. Unless did Isner do well there? I saw Isner playing well at something. Isner, I think, lost first round because okay. that was – I think there was like four different tournaments going on at that time, one in Hamburg, Germany, one in another European city in Atlanta. And I – Eubanks was playing, Atlanta kid. And right, there yeah. had to be – granted, it was probably about 110 degrees in Atlanta, but there was maybe 70 people in a 10,000-capacity stadium. <laughs> so I know Cincinnati will be rocking better than that, hopefully. So, Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it has been. It's been hot as hell everywhere. Yeah, it's been brutal. I actually, the new pursuit, I played pickleball last week, and I think 30 minutes in, the paddle was flying off my hands. Just <laughs> strictly sweat. So are you, are you still in the Quad Cities? Yeah, I am. I uh, it's, a, it's a new endeavor, the old pickleball, but tennis, my hardest problem, not to, well, I'm going to sound cockier, but it's hard to find people similar to your skill level that'll play. Right. And if if you do a lot of the time, you've got to pay for court time, et cetera. And around here, pickleball is huge. I kind of linked up with a few of my old tennis instructors, actually. Um, one of whom is the best player in the quad cities for males at pickleball. And they just, every night there's like a different court where a lot of the people play. So I'm, it's, yeah, it's quite a good time. If you ever, uh, you know, you ever get that tennis elbow sinking in or, or not, I would uh, hit up Smash Park in Des Moines. I know a couple of my friends have played there. Yeah, the yeah definitely. I think – so the courts I usually play on, I think you played there once, the the courts by Roosevelt where we oh, went to yeah. high school. So they've got like pickleball courts painted on those courts as well. So, yeah, don't, yeah, don't don't talk about that. Ross probably still hasn't recovered from that. Oh man, I really haven't played much this summer though. It's, that's sad. Yeah, it's uh, I I will tell you, I'm a little worried because I played pickleball for about three weeks, and then played tennis with an old high school teammate, and I was what I thought swinging my normal strokes, and the ball half the time was just hitting the fence. I just started <laughs> having to re-grip my racket and just hit slices or just dink the ball over just to you know, not lose. I ended up winning, obviously, but uh, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, had to make a huge adjustment. So, huh? So we're, you're talking tennis, not, not pickleball. Yeah. This was playing tennis after playing pickleball. I oh, and, I got you. Yeah. You know, they say you can do both, but not to rain on the pickleball parade. I, I would not recommend, like if I was still playing high school, I would not be picking up a pickleball paddle at all. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I did see like a few weeks ago, uh, Andy Roddick and like John McEnroe were playing somebody. I can't remember. They were like playing like a doubles match pickleball. 
Well, um, Jack Sock and uh, Jack Sock recently pretty much retired. Well, he's still playing doubles, I think, but he's been mm. playing televised pickleball tournaments and stuff. And <laughs> that confused me because he was always a good doubles player, but his overhand serve was one of his biggest weapons. Sam Query, same thing. And now they're the, you know, transitioning to pickleball guys. So what's the serve like in pickleball? You just kind of feed it in. Yeah. You have to hit it under. Under. Yep. And this is uh a newer rule so when uh, i think like two years ago you used to be able to spin the ball on the paddle and so you could toss it up while it was spinning and then hit it so it would just go any which way and they outlawed that so yeah now you can either bounce it or you can just let you know like toss it up a tiny bit and then swing through it but it has to be a down to up motion you know you can't you can't serve it above the waistline i think it is I mean, that's hard to call, but yeah, you can't do anything close to like a tennis serve. Hmm. Maybe I should get some pickleball paddles. I know. I actually just upgraded. I was using a beginner's paddle for the first, I don't know, month or two. And after I started playing with kind of this new group of people, they, uh, they joked with me that when I first started showing up, they instantly just thought I was trash because I didn't have a nice paddle like they did. So I kind of felt bullied. <laughs> oh, yeah. Last warfare. Right. I know a lot of these guys are like recently retired. And so they're just spending all their disposable income on these $300 paddles. But uh, yeah. All right. Since, since it, since it's the podcast, I do have to say this stuff. My, my, my pickleball opinions are number one. um, It is, it's what's fun about it is that any four people could play and have a competitive game that day if they've never played before. True, Nick Nish? Completely true. And I, I was kind of saying this to Hallman that what kind of was for me is it was very hard to find tennis players near my skill level to play with because if someone's not or they're just trying to pick it up, I just simply will not have a good time. Whereas, yeah, pickleball, sure. you can. You can either hit more shots if you're the better player or just not hit it towards the lesser players much and you can still have a competitive match. Number two, when I watched – the, uh, the old legends play like the sort of gimmicky game on ESPN and McEnroe. And, uh, <laughs> we were just talking about that. Yeah. They, they are as good as I am at pickleball. I'm not kidding around. Huh. Did you well, feel that way? Nick Nish, you watch it? Yeah. And that's what some of the people have been saying. So when I, just whenever I show up at the court, they always call me tennis player because somehow they can all tell because <laughs> I, I have like a different stance when I hit a forehand, but that's the thing is when you start playing, you think, Oh, I can just rip this forehand winner. And you just can't like, you can't hit winners unless it's a really good opportunity. And that's exactly what they were probably trying to do. It's not as easy to transition as you think. It's honestly more like ping pong in my opinion than tennis. Mm. Number three. And I hate to do it. I hate to do it. I have to be a hater of Sam Query and Jack Sock for turning to pickleball. On the on on love me nothing. I have to do it. Yeah, I we actually brought them up too, and and I I said it's of all the players I would expect, like like a Tommy Paul would be a guy I would expect would be good at transitioning. But the best thing about Sock and Query's game is probably their overhand serve, and that's just nullified when they're playing pickleball. No, I think Nignish, I have to I have to disrespect anyone. Just in the name of a tennis oh. podcast, like like come on. We, there's a there's an age old uh 
athletic sport and then there's this sort of game if you're in if you're anywhere near the prime of your career and you're taking this as some sort of uh televised like money-making scheme like and and you could have maybe contributed to it to it you know a, uh, a slam tournament well and uh if I'm not mistaken, I think Jack Stock is still playing doubles. So his might have been a little more gimmicky, but I'm pretty sure Query's fully retired. I don't know if that makes it different, but I that I'll just I'll just put the facts out there for you. No, I appreciate it. And I actually if you're no, if you're retired, good. If you're retired from singles, fine also. But um don't take any pride in it, I think. I don't think McEnroe would. <laughs> Oh no, Johnny Mac was on one during Wimbledon. I he was, you know, the shots were still flying. Um, it was, yeah, I could, I could, you know, what they need to do with him is get him, get him and Kyrgios, uh, well, first tennis doubles, just get them mic'd up, you know, in some capacity. That's what we really need. Get them out to the closest bar in between uh, <laughs> Melbourne and New York City, and just. <laughs> See, see if they can get along. Highly unlikely. <laughs> All right, fellas. Uh, I appreciate you bearing with me. I appreciate the listeners bearing with me. Uh, this is the tennis betting, tennis gambling episode. And I know nothing. We're going to, I'm going to ask questions because I know tennis. But I know nothing about gambling. Where do we even begin, Joe and Nick Nish? Can you guys lead us the way? So first, I got I got to give Steve some love. He's riding high. One uh, pocketed a couple G's on a fifteen dollar bet a few weeks ago, British Open. Oh yes, we did. It is the talk <laughs> of the town. Um, yeah, I uh, my guy Brian Harmon. Um, I will forever be indebted. Uh, that'll probably uh, that'll probably help with. Not that I have not. I really have only bet on Wimbledon and a little of the French, but yeah, he will, uh, he will be remembered for years to come. Might have to name my next dog Harmon or something. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'll go ahead, sir. So I say that to, uh, to say that you should take Steve's betting advice and not mine because I have not had that kind of luck in my betting career, but we can always turn it around. There's always time. Yeah. And I can, um, you know, make it to kind of start off with the tennis betting um, and why, you know, people should be interested in it is that it's kind of similar to Brian Harmon being a pro golfer that you can follow the entire golf tournament is why I am a huge advocate for tennis betting is that in most circumstances that your bets are never over. Um with with how you can bet tennis whereas if you're betting a football game and you take a team you know to win they're losing by 28 in the third quarter it's you know almost always done with with tennis betting there's always options to either you know keep rooting for it or keep it going and i think at least in my experience when i've gotten friends to start uh doing betting on it they (laughs) almost every time continue to do so because they enjoy it they may take my picks they may not know that much, but they have a good time doing it. And, you know, hopefully get a little disposable income along the way. <laughs> so 
I don't bet tennis much. I bet a, a lot of uh, college basketball, college football, uh, not a ton of tennis. So the only tennis bets I've done are just like straight money line picking the winner. And then sometimes like I'll do some future stuff like picking the winner of like Wimbledon, like in the first, like during like the, when the first round's going on or like when the first round of Wimbledon's going on, like picking somebody to make it to the quarters. That's like the extent of my tennis betting. So I'm not doing any like in match stuff. And I really don't like doing in-game betting in any sport, but are you are you an in-game type of better, in-match better? So yeah, I'll I'll start it with I my experience is mainly betting on the majors because I'm not I'm not going to bet on a random match in Munich that I can't watch. <laughs> and you know, with those smaller tournaments, I can get into this more, but who knows if they're being fixed or not. That's like the number one fixed thing in all of sports gambling is lower level tennis matches. There's been a, there's a lot of history on it, but um, I tend to stay away from the live betting unless it's a match that I've been watching closely and I get a really key sign, maybe say a player's blowing up mm. or a guy's yelling at his box or you know, a stud player may have choked and double faulted a couple times, but he's been significantly better, you know, the first set Then I might throw a small wager, but yeah, overall, for the most part, I'm just taking them beforehand and, you know, letting it ride. Um, so, yeah. All right. Let me, let me ask you this, Nick Nish, because uh, I feel like, okay, anybody's watching and seeing, you know, the, the, confidence breakdown or a couple double faults but ten- tennis matches they change like you'll see someone do that and then just like go deep into their soul and win uh do you what do you, what could you see versus anybody else you think that could uh that could be like more of a finality like oh this guy looks worried they look stressed and the announcers are saying it but do you think you do you think you have a deeper eye on it than everybody else yeah i think uh one factor is um if they're not hitting a particular shot that they're known to be hitting well i will lean towards that uh improving so say for example kyrios is playing djokovic if djokovic is just playing good defense and kyrios is just missing his average backhand that's not really a tell for me but if I've noticed that Kyrgios double faulted eight times in the first two sets, but he's got one of the best serves in tennis, that's something where there is years of data and firsthand eyewitness accounts of this man having an elite serve. More likely than not, that should bounce back and improve. Um, but to add on your point, that is the tougher part because these sports books are so smart. These people are paid a lot of money to do that. They do account for these things. But with tennis, as do oppose, say, 16 NFL games being played it's a lot to keep track of and I think there are a lot more uh, ways to manipulate it if you're paying the proper attention and kind of know what you're looking for so that's that's really interesting so more than likely he'll correct that serve what about um like what about someone who they're just not feeling their forehand that day have you ever seen a player not and not that you're live betting every single match and you're the expert, but but even if you weren't betting, have you experienced seeing a player and you know a little bit more than Holman and I do? Uh, they're just missing the forehand deep, and then they they 
they kind of stop hitting the forehand or they start hitting it softer. They change their game if they're not in the zone that day. Yeah, I think uh, to kind of pair that would a player's makeup can be really important as well, uh, especially during Wimbledon. I kind of started following uh, the the sports book account on Reddit and guys just posted in there about tennis. And uh, surprisingly, those people do have a lot of knowledge. Uh, and if it's a guy that's consistent, that's a grinder that you know is going to go out there, I'll tend to lean more towards them than I'll use this example again, a guy like Kyrgios, if he loses a first set, I, and is just kind of trying to do more of his tricks or trying to just rip winners and end points, I will lean less towards betting him in that situation. Um, Just because a player's makeup, you kind of know who the grinders are and the guys who, if they lose the first set, it's really unlikely they're going to be able to, you know, win three, the next four and take the match. Isn't that crazy that if you could if you could give them that information and they knew they weren't a grinder, shouldn't they try to play more steadily and not do crazy stuff? Yeah, and it happens all the time. I mean, I had this happen during Wimbledon, and this all kind of go back to this uh, this chat. Is there certain guys where um, I witnessed this with people playing Djokovic, where? You know, Djokovic probably had four matches where all four, it, it looked like the underdog was going to cover um, based on where the match was after the first two sets. But two of the players just completely gave up and wanted to get the hell out of there. Whereas two of the guys, you know, they were down two breaks, but they kept grinding to get, you know, hold their serve to make it 6-3 instead of 6-0, and that's yeah. the difference in the bet. Um, and I can kind of expand on that with the why, Holman, you mentioned you like money lines. I really don't bet money lines. Um, mm. What I bet is the game spread, and that's what makes it really interesting. So a game spread is essentially, well, the score, the difference in tennis games. And so if Djokovic... So let's say Djokovic is minus four and a half games over Medvedev. Um, if Djokovic beats Medvedev 7-6, 7-6, 7-6, he covers that bet. Be- or sorry, he loses that bet because the games were 4.5 and he only won by three games. He won right. by one, the first one, the second one, the third. Oh. And, and that makes it interesting, though, because – even after the second set, the match is almost over. You can still win that bet if Djokovic wins the third set six to two or six to three. So you have a lot more skin in the game till the very end, as opposed to if you bet Medvedev money line to beat Djokovic, you're like, okay, there's a 0.01% chance he's going to come back from two sets down and beat Djokovic. That's, that's a great point. So I've, I never bet game spreads. Just because, like, I feel like that's really hard to predict, and I get your point, and it's a it's a good point about like you're still in it even till the end if you're betting game spreads. Whereas, like, if you're just betting money line, it could be over pretty quick. But like, I mean, like, how do you? So, like, Djokovic is like in your example, like a minus four and a half. So if he, I mean, if he wins seven six seven six six four, he you're gonna lose that bet. Like how Correct. do you, I just feel like it's so much harder to predict the the games than like just like a winner of a match. 
Yeah, and I actually wrote this example down because it, it can kind of compare um, the differences between like betting the money line, so to win straight up, versus betting games. So this actually happened during Wimbledon, where so Novak Djokovic he played um, Herkaz and he played Rublev back to back. In both those matches, the money line, so just Djokovic to win, was pretty identical. So let's say minus 2,000, which we don't need to get into the numbers, but that's like you bet 20 bucks, you win one buck if Djokovic yeah, wins. Right. Well, yeah. And so as Rublev, objectively a better player than Herkaz, most, most would say. But Herkaz, one of the best serves on tour. Mm. So those game spreads, Herkaz was only a 5.5 game underdog. And Rublev was a 7.5 game underdog. So when you're going into those bets, you have to think, okay, what's more likely than not? If they both lose, I'm going to put my chips on Herkaz because I don't think his serve's going to be broken at all. And that did end up happening. I took Herkaz and Rublev. Herkaz only lost 7-6-7-6-7-6. I think he dropped a set, but he lost by three games, I'm pretty sure. And Rublev lost, I think he ended up losing by eight games when it was seven and a half. That's why I remember that one so well, but there is the differences in between. And that's why I like the game spread because those are other factors to put in where it's a, you know, a heavy server. That's not going to get broken. Berrettini's another great example or a guy that he could win a set, but he could also lose two sets, six, two, six, two, and your bet's screwed. Mm, that is a great example. <laughs> You yep. literally just convinced me, like, uh, I'm going to start betting game spreads now. <laughs> That's a yeah, great I mean, example. these all stung, so I remember them quite <laughs> You always remember the losers, yeah. Exactly. So are you betting game over-unders? So this is so interesting. That that just, like, completely, like, your your example there just, like, illuminated my mind here. So, like, say, like, uh, an Isner, like, a good server, bad, bad defense, maybe, like, Isner Berrettini. Like you're, that would be a, a high, a, probably a lot of games are going to be played in that match because there's going to be very few breaks. Is that what you're thinking or no? Oh, 100%. And uh, sometimes those are more fun and more boring to watch. I, I try to look up some Wimbledon examples, but um, I'm, uh, Eubanks is a great example from Wimbledon because of how well he was serving. Mm. Um, you know, he would uh, – oh, for great one here. Eubanks and Tsitsipas, uh, mm. both good servers, both known to hold. Um, you know, Tsitsipas probably would have been the same amount of favorite against a Eubanks as versus against a, I'll use him again, Rublev. But the game over under for Tsitsipas and Eubanks was 43.5 games, mm. which is extremely high. But if you think about those, those matches – all you need is Eubanks to pretty much win one set for that to cover. Because if it's 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, seven, six, that's 39 games you're losing. But if you go to a four set, more often than not, that is going to be covered because, boom, 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, four, six, seven, six. That's 49 games you're golden. Um, so, yeah, for those, for those guys who – you know, tend to hold their serve more. And obviously matches that are going to be closer are going to have a higher over under. Whereas I remember Djokovic, he was playing uh, Jordan Thompson from Australia. 
just a good exercise. Like, wh- what do you think that game over under was for that match? 22. Okay, that's <laughs> almost physically impossible. It was 27.5. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think I was watching, I was just looking at DraftKings today. Whoever Fritz is playing in DC, I think their over under for games was like 22 and a half. Oh, but that's three sets versus five. So that's probably. Oh, sure. That's. Oh, all right. Okay. And that's why I don't like betting women's over under as much because, well, one, women's tennis, I don't, I've never bet it. It's just impossible to predict at this point. Wait, wait, wait. Pause on that, Nick Nish, before you go deeper into it because that's a huge question. I, I am interested in the difference in betting women's versus men's tennis. Yes. Massive difference. I can't even be an expert on it because. I'll t- uh, Wimbledon, like the first week, I-, I was doing pretty well. And I uh, just threw a couple small wagers for the women's tennis. And I think I lost them all. I just had, I, I tried to do some research, but it's with women's tennis, the discrepancies in games are so much more, are so much larger because, you know, if you get like a Sabalenka. Okay, so let's compare two great players. Um, a Sabalenka and an Alcaraz. If Alcaraz is dominating a first-round opponent, I'd say it's going to be 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, just a median score. If Sabalenka is dominating a first-round opponent, it's going to be like 6-1, 6-0. And I just think there's a lot bigger spread in those matches and and between breaking of serve. And there's just a lot more parity because they're playing a shorter match, um, and it's just kind of mayhem sometimes with the better players versus the worst players. And it's just, it's so hard to predict with who's going to come out and do what. I mean, yeah. Uh, and I can keep expanding more on a different question, but that's kind of the best I could say women's versus men's because women's is really just an absolute crapshoot because it's just the variability is, or the variance is so much higher. That's so interesting. And I know nothing about betting, but it's interesting to know that more variability means that it's a worse bet and you're right like we've all talked about on the podcast that uh i mean the amount of different men that have won tournaments versus the amount of different women is a crazy like it's totally a crazy amount of different people the same men win every year and women rolls over all the time and uh yeah we see it uh match to match the serve break is a little bit less of a factor um, so I didn't know how that translated to betting, but now I know. Yeah. And I would add like a Hallman, if I was going to bet money line on tennis in general, it would be women's, um, because, whoa, but this would be women's just because this, well, so I should add it. The spreads are a lot lower. Like if you get a, um, Iga Swiatek against a lower opponent, she might be six to one odds. Whereas a Djokovic is going to be sometimes like 30 to one odds. Um, I why, just, do you think that, why do you think that is? Because you and I would know it's the same odds. Um, I think, well, I mean, you know, Djokovic does have a longer track record. Um, and also because he has a little more margin for error with it being a longer match um, sure. to get kind of his, his uh, mojo together. And yeah, that just with the, the change with women's players as opposed to men, uh, I would, I just think that they on any given day. Yeah. I guess it all comes down to not being the elite of elite. If it was Serena and Djokovic being compared, it would be closer, but just with the parody 
And I don't know if there's, it's harder between matches or it's here's here. Okay. Here, Dom, I'm getting to a point. I think with the wear and tear for women's tennis, because it's three set matches at this majors, whereas with men, they're playing three set matches a lot of the year. And then they play five set matches at the majors, whereas women's tennis, they have the same format throughout the year. That could, this is more spitballing, but that could also be a factor as well. Um, they might be a little fresher or more used to those conditions. Um, and so maybe the underdogs have a better chance against guys like Djokovic, who when you factor in their uh, kind of their resiliency, their patience, just their strategic awareness, it's a lot harder and you've less room for air over a longer match. I love the idea of women take the uh, match spread and men's. We have to go a little deeper. We have to take game spreads. Yes, I, I think it's a, a valid thing. And I would also add, if I'm going to bet underdogs, I kind of expand on this, but definitely women's tennis. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. because 100%. Yeah. Yes. We, and we, we've, we've talked about it. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen, like, we're always more surprised by and, and having to quickly Google on the side the women we talk about on our podcast <laughs> than, the, than the men's. So even like once you get past like Nadal, Federer in their heyday, you get past Djokovic and Alcaraz, like taking them out of it, you're still not betting many underdogs on the men's side. Um, Not a ton. That's tough. I have before. I mean, I got to go back to my guy. I've definitely thrown some weight. What I usually, when I usually bet a money line, I will, let's just say an example, like I'll take five bucks on a guy's money line and then 15 bucks on their game spread as well. I'm usually mm. not betting. I'm usually betting them with each other. I mean, I did that great example. It didn't turn out well, but Berrettini at Wimbledon, I mean, he's my guy. He covered his game spread with ease the first four matches. I think he covered the over on three of the four as well. And when he played Alcaraz, actually, doesn't look great in hindsight, but I did put a little on his money line and then had – put some money on his game spread as well so I, I more so like to compare them just because if, if they're if you're hitting the money line most of the time you're going to hit the game spread there are situations where you won't hit the game spread but usually you will mm. and That's i could expand on that with game spread versus money line there are i've, I've really hadn't had it happen too often but there are situations where um a guy could win the match and he just doesn't cover the game spread. Yeah. Loses his, his game spread. Yeah. Like That's, say he yeah. loses, say he wins a match one, six, one, six, and then it's seven, six, seven, six, seven, six. He wins that match, but he actually loses by seven games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen. Yeah. Or just like the, the example from earlier, if, if you're like minus five, your game spread and you win seven, six, seven, six, you're, you're losing the spread, but you're winning the match. So, yeah. I So like, how often does that happen? Like, I guess you said, usually if, if you win the match, you probably are going to win your game spread. Yeah. So I will say, and this may not be the best strategic move. I tend to bet underdogs a lot more. And I think this is also the thing with betting. Uh, like I said, I haven't, I don't, I know gambling on tennis well, but I don't, do it that often i only do the majors and when you get into those final rounds and this is a problem this is why vegas always wins i, I don't want to bet on djokovic in the semis to 
wipe the floor with Sinner. I, I want to take Sinner as the underdog and have a good match. And so mm. I tend to lean towards betting underdogs. And I think a lot of, you know, your listeners or casual tennis fans would want to as well. Like Alcaraz versus Djokovic, I just took the over actually, which, which did hit in that match. But I did think Djokovic might've been the right bet at the time, but I didn't bet it. Cause I just want, you know, I just wanted to cheer for Alcaraz to win. And so that that's another thing. Then the over can be your perfect bet there. I think it might be close, <laughs> but you don't think it's going to win. They're going to win. Right, man. This is just, uh, my mind's racing right now. I can't wait to start betting game lines. Man. I, I tell you, I can change. What, yeah. What's that? Well, um, Holman, we gotta, we gotta start slow. All right. We can't have you betting like the Hamburg <laughs> open while you're getting ready for a deposition or something in the middle of the day. So, We'll start with the majors first, all right? (laughs) Sounds good. I'm going to be betting Stuttgart and Basel. Yeah, Stuttgart. That was another tournament going on during the Atlanta Open. Stuttgart, (laughs) Hamburg, Atlanta. I was like, how many – we could do an Antarctica Open next? I mean, God. A fifth – a sort of fifth, like – or a a fourth surface, ice? (laughs) It could be fun. Oh, has a competitive tennis match ever been played on in Antarctica? You know, history may not have documented it, but it could have happened. <laughs> they might have had a ping pong table down there or something. They should have. You know, those <laughs> penguins have to keep themselves entertained somehow. <laughs> so are you doing any prop bets or is that too much of a crapshoot for you? Um. Th- okay, so that's that'd be the last um, – this would kind of go into live betting. So I really never get in the weeds with this. And as having moved back to Iowa recently, I had, I've only done it legally for the French open in Wimbledon. And so those, they have a little more options available um, in a lot of the States now, but in tennis, it's, it's hard to do a prop bet. Like I, Okay, here's a good example, actually, because I had a friend uh, ask me before Djokovic Alcaraz. I know you can bet on, like, total aces mm-hmm. and total winners, which would actually be very fun. I personally have not done it, but that would be – those would be the main, like, prop bets you could do. Because, like, counting, like, total forehand slices, you know, you get into the weeds there. I, that's just – I don't think that's a thing, really. <laughs> so you're not betting on, like, uh, first one to break or anything like that? No, I, I have never done that. It's it's mainly just uh, I, I usually keep it pretty simple, just the games. And yeah. and especially if you're, you know, like a lot of people our age and fandom are, if you're just doing it as a casual better for fun, you know, you want something that's going to last the whole match that you can do a little research on. And then you can also still enjoy the quality of the match as well. You know, like there's bets where you can I've done this a few times where you can bet like exact set score. Mm. Um and I've, I did that a couple times with, like, if they're a huge underdog, I, I think I had one or two where I had, going back to my guy, Berrettini, like, to win three to two. And that would be, like, bet a buck to win 20 bucks. But beyond that, it's it's usually just sticking to the uh, simple ones that you can kind of, yeah, sit down, enjoy the match, and then follow it for the entire time. Right, right on. So I, I was actually just, like, looking at I opened my DraftKings app to <laughs> just a few minutes ago get ready for this pod. There are some crazy prop bets you can make just some like just total coin flip stuff. And I, I don't know. I never bet on any of that. Holman, which one, which ones of these are likely and which ones of these are just DraftKings taking your money? 
<laughs> that's the thing that's like uh it's just like some of them are are total like crapshoot i'm like you know DraftKings takes a percentage of it they're just making money every time somebody bets on those man but uh actually joe and this could you know maybe some some homework for the listeners but if you if you look up some of the tennis betting uh scandals there is a lot throughout history um <laughs> especially because you think of some of these smaller European tournaments where yeah. especially a little while, you know, years ago where you've got guys, you know, say they're ranked in the two hundreds or just trying to get to mm-hmm. the challenger level. And, you know, say you're playing in a Italian city with a big mob presence and you need some cash, you know, they might, they might just take money to throw the match. And I'm, it's, I'm uh, in. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier to miss a few forehands than it is to, you know, throw a pass out of bounds at basketball when you average less than one turnover on the season. So <laughs> it has happened a lot before. It's actually, I, I, I don't yeah. think they did a documentary on that specifically, but I know there's a lot, there's been a lot of corruption in the past in, uh, in tennis betting and uh, especially in Europe in some of those tournaments. I do. I actually read like a long article about that, like a couple of years ago, it's been a while, but like the, like players ranked in the hundreds and the two hundreds, like a lot of like, game throwing match throwing going on a lot of uh <laughs> some some skeezy stuff going on oh yeah you check the sports book reddit thread during wimbledon i keep referencing this i'm a loser but uh they uh <laughs> these 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 guys lose a bet and their number one uh defense mechanism is saying the guy tried to throw it i'm like <laughs> yeah i really bet uh medvedev just threw this match to alcaraz that would have won him 1.5 million that's that's definitely (laughs) happening and he's definitely communicating in real time with the people having him throw it while he's on the court the entire time (laughs) oh that might be my go-to from now on anytime i lose a bet yep (laughs) must have been something going on behind the scenes the fix is in (laughs) but um yeah i guess um yeah, overall, you know, uh, shoot me a text or something if uh, for some for some futures when you guys do your your picks for the U.S. Open or your preview. If you add that in, I can Holman. I'll just give you some under the table picks, and you can act like they're your own. <laughs> that sounds great, man. I need all the help I can get. I will. No. I will definitely be betting game spreads in the U.S. Open, though. I'm Dude, like, you have to. I mean, I'm I'm pumped yeah. right now. And yeah, it's like. It's so many ma- that's the other thing to add like with money lines is especially with how the legal sports books operate you know you have to take the money out before a match so say you're like okay i'm gonna bet a hundred bucks for this tournament and it's the first round of the u.s open and you bet a hundred bucks on Djokovic to win and you can win three bucks then you can't take anything else pretty much the entire day so another reason why game spreads i think are the way to go and are they are i think the most popular as well Count count me among the new people that will be betting game spreads. Yep, just got to add a tennis, you know, tennis betting screen to ESPN. I know they they do it with hockey and golf, so <laughs> this is the next one. Maybe I'll get in on some rigged pickleball here or something with those uh, those tournaments gaining notoriety. <laughs> no, Steve, uh, you you are already due for the next episode which is a great episode and it's it's just like a man's bet it's, it doesn't have any lines or odds or anything like that and we already talked about it on this episode we'll all do we'll all lay our money down on audio recording for uh the next slam winner 
Love it. We'll do a slam winner draft. Ooh, I like that. We draft like a few a few guys. Yeah. Like maybe a little point system for if they win, if they get to the final semis, quarters. Get like it, encourages, it encourages the listeners to stick around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I maybe start scouting like some 14-year-olds in Real Madrid or something for this. Might be the might be the next best hope. Sure, you can yeah, you can do extra research and you can pick one of those. Yeah. Love it, love it. Cole, uh any notes, any mistakes we made? He's actually not on this one, is he? I know. Cole's been blowing it. He's uh I think he had some family in town, yeah. Joe, are you heading over there? Uh, you know when family's in town, that means like a lot of food. Are you heading over? <laughs> I'm not. No, I, I don't have any plans to anyway. Are you putting on uh, in, insomnia and going to sleep? <laughs> I actually watched that movie uh, just a few weeks ago. But Did you? Yeah. How was it? Dude, not bad. Chris Nolan movie. Uh, I think I've seen all of Christopher Nolan's movies now. I I didn't think it was bad at all. Dude, Al Pacino. It's, I, I love that movie. I uh... Yeah. Yeah, I uh, at first I was I was thinking it was Michael Mann because he's one of my favorite directors as well. But uh, then I realized I I just sometimes I think every Al Pacino movie is a Michael Mann movie, but that's just heat. So uh, <laughs> I'm mistaken. But uh, that's a uh, maybe not the best go to bed movie, but definitely yeah, that's true. Weird role for Robin Williams too. He usually doesn't play that kind of a kind of a creepy character. Yeah, it's it's true. Yeah, Joe, I saw uh, from Instagram you did the Barbenheimer double feature. <laughs> yeah yeah i did i liked barbie better so did i so did i what do you love about it i did uh i saw them separately but i went to oppenheimer thursday night at 10 o'clock and uh <laughs> the opening night with two buddies one of who'd worked night shift and the other who had to work in the morning one of them fell asleep halfway through i was obviously up the whole time i loved it but uh <laughs> i saw barbie two days later and I think it was because it was, you know, a more unique movie, something I hadn't seen like that in a while. But I was I was fully locked in, even uh, got to take a photo of like a family of six outside the movie poster. That was interesting. (laughs) For sure. sure. Yeah, it it gave me the sense, Nick Nish, that like it was the type of movie that they're going to be playing at, like movies on the rooftop, movies in the park. Like I was like, this is an instant classic. Oh, yeah. And you can oh, it'll be on it'll be on a streaming service in two months. Who knows? Get it on basic cable for those who still watch. That'll be a definitely more rewatchable than Oppenheimer as good of a movie as Oppenheimer was. So I actually did the double feature as well. I went to uh, Oppenheimer with Cole and his wife and his dad. And then right after that, went to Barbie by myself. And I, I actually, <laughs> they, they had seen Barbie the night before, so <laughs> I Dude. went, to it, went to it by myself. I'm a big movie by myself guy. I actually went the very next Dang. night, went to, went to Oppenheimer again by myself. I'm a huge movie by myself guy. I, I have some <laughs> buddies that kind of gave me crap for it, but uh, when I, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas for six months, not knowing a single person, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to go to some movies by myself. And uh, in St. Louis, I live next door to a movie theater, so I was like, that's just a no-brainer. Oh, yeah. um, but at one last, to add on that Barbie, I, I think a week after it came out, one of my buddies was like, yeah, you know, another friend asked me and two of their guys to go see Barbie. I was like, absolutely not. I'm thinking, what do you what do you mean you're going to see the, one of the most successful movies of the last five years with three other people? I'm like, that's actually more weird that you said you didn't want to go see it. 
So was this like, at least as far as I can tell, maybe maybe Top Gun, but this was like by far to me like the biggest movie weekend since COVID. Is that Huge. is that what you guys are bigger, thinking? bigger, it, huge? Yeah, m- bigger than Top Gun. Top Gun's the only other thing I could even think of. But like, I, I oh, just yeah. felt like everyone, like in the everyone I knew, like went to both these movies. Oh yeah, the biggest, and I think it, I the projections are now. I don't, I don't think Barbie's going to pass Top Gun Maverick. Probably not. I'll, but um, because I think Top Gun Maverick had a huge international audience as well. But mm. I remember the first movie I saw, kind of still during COVID, was actually Tenet by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Me and, too, Nick Nish. <laughs> yes. Yep. I and, love. Uh, and I went with two other guys, and we were the only people in the theater. So. <laughs> And dude, I think, dude, yeah. Steve, everybody did that much. I watched it the night before uh, uh, Barbenheimer, and I was like, this movie, it doesn't make any sense, but it's just fucking sweet. It's awesome. Robert Pattinson is on one. Yeah, it's, just... It's, it's just so cool. Like, it's just like, oh, I'll watch Robert Pattinson, like, fly around buildings. Like, who cares? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think you can put it, maybe not top five. Christopher Nolan is probably on that fringe. I'm still, a, oh, I wow. still got to say Dark Knight just because that's like the movie I most remember seeing as a kid. But yeah, his his movies are always events you remember. You got to respect him for that. So. so as far as Christopher Nolan movies go, I think Tenet's near the bottom for me. And that's like, I think Tenet's a good movie. So like if Tenet's the worst movie you've ever made, like he's doing something right. But that is, I don't know. It's just like maybe just because I'm dumb and I didn't understand it, but that that would be near the bottom of Christopher Nolan movies for me. But I where's still Oppenheimer? Like, Come on, Holman. Opp- Oppenheimer's up there. I'd say Oppenheimer's top five. I I love that movie. I would say that the Prestige and Dark Knight would be up there for sure. Holman, those are my top two. My guy. <laughs> I I love the Prestige. Same. Yeah, Oppenheimer's my third, and I'd say Dunkirk fourth. And oh, uh, forgot about Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah, Dunkirk fourth, Memento fifth. That's the, <laughs> that's the Steven top five right there. I forgot about Memento, dude. Memento. So I I discovered that late. I watched that for the first time like a month or two ago. Blew my mind. Incredible movie. Yeah, I would say Memento of five is is a straight psycho Steve Nicknish move. Classic <laughs> Steve Nicknish, honestly. <laughs> Wait, too, too high or too low? You got to too too low. That that like that is like a consciousness changing film. <laughs> it's true. I I don't maybe I didn't see it you know at the right time. That definitely deserves a rewatch. But um, yeah, it's true. You you got to be locked in for that. I mean that like between Inception, Tenet, Interstellar, he does have probably three of the more divisive movies of the last 10 years so you can really go on either side of the coin you're right they all have to battle it out for being that good i mean they're all so fucking sweet <laughs> they are very good inception <laughs> i could probably i probably need to rewatch that every week because i still don't understand it either but uh... <laughs> all right joe we have a lot of notes for cole yes I, I guess the only one I have is just the break at 28 minutes, but <laughs> we're leaving this movie discussion in, right? I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> we should, we should leave it all in. <laughs> apparently, apparently, apparently Nick Nish is like whole like following. will enjoy it all. We'll see th- th- this one. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know if I can, uh, you know, tell my, tell my great aunt about the, uh, you know, my betting habits. But besides that, it should definitely play. 
No, I don't. I don't really bet that much, though. So it's it is all good there. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming back on, man. Yeah, no, it was great. Always love to. I'm uh, excited for. We only got one more major, so got to make it count. Unfortunately, we both don't get to be there like the the host here, but we can watch <laughs> it on TV. Uh, that'll be great, man. Steve, you're in Des Moines or near Iowa or whatever. I- yeah, I'm in Davenport, which is like two, two and a half hours from Des Moines. Um, and, uh, oh, Hallman, I'm actually going up to Des Moines tomorrow to go to Hinterland with a few Oh, uh, are you? All right. Yeah. <laughs> got a, I, two days ago, my buddy's like, I got a free ticket to Boney Bear. So I'm like, fuck yeah, it's coming up. <laughs> oh, Listen, excellent. I love Boney Bear. Uh, let's all make it a point to go to uh, Cincinnati next year because that's relatively easy for you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was supposed to go this year. I just have a bachelor party next weekend. I We actually had to cancel like a couple weeks ago. I was supposed to go with my dad. Sucks. All right. <laughs> Put it on the calendar. Next year, Cincinnati. No, no. Next year, they're moving to Charlotte. Are you serious? Is it official? I, I thought it was. Like forever or just for next year? Uh, I think it's forever. Oh, God. I know, right? Wow. That hurts my soul. I know. And my dad's kind of friend is like, he's gone to the Western Open for like 23 straight years or some oh. crazy shit. And yeah, he's devastated. That's how I heard about it. Wow. Mm-hmm. They, they just hate the Midwest, you know? Sad. <laughs> huh. Sucks. But hey, thank you again, you guys. And uh, yeah, just keep me posted on the, uh, the futures drafts. I'll be fully prepping and easily winning. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. <laughs> All right. See you guys. All right. See ya. Thanks, guys. Yep. The tennis fundamentals, the serve, the volley, and the smash. This month, we are doing tennis. What better way to take advantage of the great weather than with a game of tennis? I have no chance in the match. He's the number one in the world, and I'm playing with a metal hit.